0: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research.
1: Dropped dead, incredible and novel, insufferable, and careless, merciless, inefficient, impersonal and fussy, needless, useless, mentally confused, imagination is real crazy, I feel like living with one hand. I'm trying to win a contest, a one-legged view. The asses
2: Tech or not to tech? That's the question.
0: That is not a question at all.
2: Well, Death Row definitely gave the right answer on their third album. <laughs> yes, they did. They decided to tech. That's a bit from Deception Ignored, the album under the microscope in this episode. Uh, that's a track called Beer a crazy which um, probably a good choice for bonus track because I don't think it lived up to the other seven on the album. Do you?
0: No, I would agree with that.
2: It's good. It seems like it could have been that first track that they wrote after their second album, and kind of got into this world of expanding their range and just laying the gas pedal on on, on the technical side of things.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it has that manic feel, um, that you know, German caffeinated thrash vibe, you know that from the, the earlier records. But I mean, you can definitely tell that they had advanced as players.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That last musical moment we listened to is uh, uh, pretty advanced on from what they did early. I, I always uh, disliked the title Bureaucracy. I get that. It's a pun on bureaucracy or a wordplay, but it always struck me as like, I always thought of like, Oh, we're crazy for dresser drawers. <laughs> you know,
0: I mean, I'm sure that's a fetish somewhere.
2: <laughs> hey man. <laughs> Maybe Milo uh, from Death Row himself is a bit of a dresser drawer fetishist.
0: I mean, he's, a, he's an oak guy, you know? <laughs> uh,
2: Deception ignored emerged at a time of really great maturation and sophistication of thrash metal. I mean... This was 1988, Uh, that was the year of Voivod's Dimension Hatros, uh, of Mekong Deltas, the music of Eric Zahn, of Destruction's Release from Agony, Coroner's Punishment for Decadence, Blind Illusions, The Sane Asylum, uh, the most technically precise Metallica album, Injustice for All, amongst quite a few others that like squarely fit into this region of elevated erudite thrash. Uh You know, even though they kind of came from humble origins, they inserted themselves right into the zeitgeist of 88, wouldn't you say?
0: sure but i mean this you know you could say the same thing of destruction i mean you know there was nothing in destruction's early music to to indicate that they would you know arrive at release from agony
2: well and the same thing for voivod there um yeah and
0: which is one of the things that you and i like so much about older metal is that there's always this sort of nativity story and you see these bands grow and grow um, and then they, you know, they evolve into something, you know, completely unexpected.
2: Uh, also, I've been accused of, like, thinking Blind Illusions, The Saint Asylum, is more progressive than it is. A couple people that read my Mean Deviation book thought I spent too much time on them. But um, I, I stand behind it to this day. I, I, I believe they brought something really original and progressive-minded to Thrash. Um, but... That leads me I of want to ask you about Destruction's release from Agony. We've mentioned this album now probably five or six times in different episodes. Mm. It just it just seems to come up. It's it's part of our DNA, so of course it will. And while it's not my favorite Destruction album, I hold it in incredibly high regard. But is it really that technical cuz think about the title track. Yes, it is. Uh Sign of Fear. What Oh, that-
0: dude, Sign Sign of Fear is Sign of Fear um has some of the like the hallmarks of what I look for when I think about techie music.
2: Sure. Um, Sure.
0: Yeah, I adore that song.
2: It's got that cold brooding element of, say, Oblivion's Nemesis, really. Right. With a lot of acoustic guitar. But, you know, a lot of the other songs on release from Agony, they don't quite go where, say, the title track went, you know? Right. Um, So I always look at that as kind of a half-tech album, and I I always wished they had gone further. But, you know, of course, there was a lineup change and uh, quite a sea change. Crack Brains, Yeah. Yeah, not, not the follow up we wanted. Yeah, let's get back to Death Row though. They came out. They came from that very fertile German thrash movement that we all probably know and love. Uh, and if you don't, uh, go get "Pleasure to Kill" by Creator, and then come back to us, and we'll make more recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> but to put this album by Death Row in proper context, um, not just of where it was in 1988, let's listen to a couple bits from their first two albums and keep these in mind as we move forward.
1: To, press, to kill a killer face It's fat Get your from your away, the spell of gray, grave the source to Spell of, spell of, of flesh Pitching for demons war Guns of evil, the dance of the sky you up, search for a friend Damn the you die So i try Color of black, a chicken on mess down the down. Summer mornings, a day's so black, and I imagine a pain in a body, you're one, seven strong, the one What's what's no one's to go
0: heard two songs from death row's first two records slaughtered and then mortal dread from my second favorite record by death row a close second in fact raging steel yep um and in in those two songs you already hear sort of a maturation occurring i think raging steel has got some pretty developed stuff on it. it it's it's not technical at all but it's definitely nuanced and and evolved i i I think
2: i I agree with you and and more so than riders of doom aka satan's gift that first album had that weird thing where it was like two different album titles and two different territories and two different album covers yeah that first album i always found a bit i mean it's charming and it's decent it's a little ham-fisted it is in spots yeah it's shaky and i guess that just brings raging steel more into focus and in, into greater relief as like the better album you know uh because sure. of the maturation you're talking about no change in lineup there we had uh marcus hahn on drums we had uh milo on bass and vocals Zven fluga on guitar and uh thomas priba on guitar so um That band actually started as a a band called Samhain. Yep, Samhain, yep. From 84 to 86, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so apparently they'd never heard of Glenn Danzig's crew. Uh, Apparently not. (laughs) Made some really shaky demos. And um, here we have them in uh, 87 with Raging Steel and Mortal Dread. That's the last little snippet we heard. Then they had a lineup shift. And they brought in Uffe Osterliner for Thomas Priebe on guitar. And, man... History tells us this now, uh, but even then, he was clearly the main catalyst for the band shift into this much more technical and difficult material. Yeah. As an aside, uh, this guy, Osterlander, was a part of this uh, short-lived End Amen, uh, which featured two members of Psychotic Waltz, because Psychotic Waltz, who we mentioned a lot last episode, and we're we're tending to mention them quite a bit lately, but... Psychotic Waltz and Death Row toured together in 92, formed a kinship, and then came this, um, you know, kind of one-off album by End Amen.
0: It's not nearly as good as it should be.
2: I was going to say the same thing. It's kind of on paper. It, I love on it. On paper,
0: yeah. It's uh, yeah, a match made in heaven.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't work too well. So, so we have in the radical research lens anyway, in, in our vision, Ufa Lenner was on one great album and two not-so-good albums.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, I bought the Inday Men record when there was nothing but paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> y- YouTube could have saved me $25. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, did you flip it for like at least 10
0: I Probably not.
2: Okay. <laughs> you probably could now.
0: Maybe. It's still an unacceptable loss.
2: So, yeah, the band comes out with their third album in 88. Deception ignored. And I think right from the album cover. You know that they are okay. changing. You know yes. that it's it's a different death row, and we're going to listen to the first evidence of that uh, in the opening track. This is a snippet from "Events in Concealment."
1: State, a state of brother men Redoxing colon guides A guise of reverence Conducting for sedate And this day's not pleasant The cross-fought is the up of the concealed defends
0: shift in the approach of the guitar, which is again obviously a result of the lineup change, but there's also this like and I think this is very typical of these tech thrash albums at the time you get this sort of like dense suffocated production it, like there's, there's no breathing room in this production <laughs> style yeah, um, and I think it sort of lead, it lends itself, you know, to the the density and the difficulty of the material.
2: It was produced by Harris Johns, and we don't have to say right. much about him. I mean, you know, all we probably really need to say is "Killing Technology" and "Dimension Hatros." You know, right? I mean, come on. But but they were still a noisy band. They were still interested in having the dirt there. I mean, they certainly weren't in their sort of antiseptic nothing face phase.
0: Well, I, I don't think they were there as musicians yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, there's there's still some, some sort of, especially like in the drumming department, uh, you know, some rickety work.
2: In the snippet we listen to in Events in Concealment, there's that break at, at the beginning of the snippet. And when Marcus Hahn comes in, it seems very behind the rest of the music as if it's just kind of struggling to keep up. And it kind of stays there as they kind of forge ahead. I'm not sure if that's deliberate, but to, you know, to me, it's one of those happy accidents maybe because it actually does lend a bit of quirkiness to it, uh, a bit of anxiety and strangeness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, that you described it perfectly.
2: Uh, And I think they were, this was a, this is a great example of a band that was like stretching probably just, just a hair beyond their means at this time. But the ideas they had in their head were huge and, Bringing Osterlander in probably really helped, kind of the rest of the guys live up to his talent. And, and yeah, I'm just,
0: sure it it motivated them.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Might might as well be a good time to to mention that the guys in the band not not Osterlander, but uh, Fluga and uh, it's either Han or Milo. I can't remember. In the reissue that Divebomb put out of this a few years ago, uh, there's some sort of like talk with these guys, kind of looking at back in hindsight. And they're really kind of embarrassed about the album or they just don't really like it. They don't think it's true death row. It wasn't what they should have done. Couldn't disagree more.
0: Yeah, you're wrong, guys. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's such a radical shift and such a departure and obviously a departure catalyzed by one person and maybe they feel like they were manipulated or something. Or, or overpowered, in hindsight.
2: Yeah, I don't who knows? Know. Who knows? I'm, I'm
0: talking for them, and that's unfair, but...
2: Yeah, but but it was the zeitgeist, especially on noise records. I mean, they were label mates with Corner like, who were, exactly. you know, kind of becoming quite sophisticated at this time with punishment for decadence. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we mentioned Voivod, and, and there are others. So, you know, it was in the air, and um, it was kind of of and, the time, a little bit ahead of its time, in a way.
0: Yeah, life cycle was 88, right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, well. Because, you got to yeah, mention life that. Yeah,
0: cycle is 88, but yeah because, No, um, no, no,
2: no. Sorry. Life cycle has to be 89 because it has those watchtower rips, but but then again, Uh-oh. those watchtower rips could come from the instruments of random murder demo from 87.
1: Here,
0: let 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 us consult the oracle.
2: Do you speak of the Encyclopedia Metallum, the Metal Archives?
0: I only speak. <laughs> <of the Encyclopedia. laughs> yeah. Let's see. I like that we're doing research and like Real
2: time. <laughs> Real time. Well, we have never done that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we may have done it, but we've never mentioned it. Yeah, it's
0: it, uh, so. it's 88.
2: Okay, it's 88, but the Instruments of Random Murder demo by Watchtower came out in 87. And Correct. I think some of the rips that Seizures even took from Watchtower were really from listening to that demo, which was pretty highly circulated. Uh, oh, yeah. Because Control and Resistance is 89. So all, all of this to say, what exactly? <laughs>
0: 1988 is sort of like... I don't want to, maybe the the sort of evolutionary end of of thrash metal. Hmm. Um you know a, maybe after all the you know intensity had burned off there was only one place else to go and that was into more progressive territory. By 1988, you know death metal was starting to really develop as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, I mean and then you know after that
2: Well, yeah, after that, Thrash got more progressive. Uh, Death Metal came in as a primitive monster until maybe five years later that became more progressive. So it seems like there's kind of a five-year gestation period from sort of like the beginning. Because I think we can count 83 as the beginning of Thrash. We have Slayer's first album, Metallica's first album, okay? Then five years hence, we have all these 1988 albums we're talking about. So let's just make 1988... Well, let's make 1987 the beginning of Death Metal because that's the first death album. I think that's fair. Yeah. And uh, and we can trace it back earlier if we want to. But we'll just say 87. Five years hence from that, what do we get? We get 92. And what's that on the cusp of? 93. So it just seemed like it took only five, six years for a lot of these bands and this entire movement come to its complete apex in terms of creativity and technicality. Right and then let's let's not forget yeah 88 might have been the peak of thrash because in 89 ninety I think what you got was a codified sort of thing, uh, especially with a lot of the new bands, where you know they were just kind of doing these riffs that you you've heard a million times, a lot of the British thrash bands were like a few years too late and they came on and they sounded like sub testament bands playing riffs that you've heard a million times, so yeah, I've never thought of that in that way before, but maybe 88 is thrash's peak. Mm. Let's uh, listen to the Death Wish while we uh, ponder all the hate mail we're going to get for that comment.
0: have always heard some Holy Terror in that
2: song. Ooh, that's what I've not heard before, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. All that does is make me want to listen to Holy Terror, dude. You can't mention that band. <laughs> I will go crazy with that band. I will go deep every time. It's It's just, I get obsessed every time I pull those records out.
0: No, they're, they're one of the greatest bands ever. Yeah. No, no, I question. mean, they've got two albums and they're one of the greatest bands ever.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't come back with some weird ass lineup that was kind of threatened in the late 90s at some point or mid 2000s or something like that. Kirk Kilfeldt assembled a bunch of guys. Glad yeah. that didn't amount to anything because I'm sorry. Yeah. You don't, you're not going to be anything without those five guys. Each of those five guys brought something so special to that band. But, you know, as I was listening, I, I did hear other things. I, uh, and I think I always kind of hear phrases or references to these bands when I listen to Deception Ignored. And that is Voivod. I think on a couple songs we'll be listening to later, like Narcotic and Machinery, we'll hear more of that. Mekong Delta, you have to mention them.
0: Oh, of course.
2: I think this falls right in line with what Mekong Delta were doing around 88, you know, with the the second album. I also always hear a lot of Metallica in this album, it's almost easy to forget that Metallica were these like architectural geniuses back in the days of like Master of Puppets and Justice for All, where, you know, this finesse and this grandiosity of their work at that time, they were just really sculpting thrash in this genius way. And I hear a lot of that. I hear I hear a lot of that in the opener events and Concealment, not so much in the Death Wish, but um, throughout this album, that had to be a huge influence.
0: Well, I, you know, I think too, like that. that it's, like you say... It's hard to remember, and, and look, I wasn't there, but I do understand, you know, the the cultural importance of Metallica and the, the omnipresence of it. But like, I think now we tend to think of Metallica as like a museum piece, right? But like at the time, I mean, they were like the most important band in the world. I mean, you know, their their influence just stretched across continents.
2: And I think they were innovative in what they were doing. I think if you just look at that quick maturation from Kill 'Em All to Ride the Lightning, uh, by the way, one of my favorite metal albums, probably a top three metal album for me of all time, Ride the Lightning, Uh, and then Master of Puppets and, and Justice for All, like by the time of the third and fourth albums, you know, they were really sculpting and being grandiose and being kind of symphonic in a way with thrash and nobody was really doing it the way they were at that time and I think a lot of followers came in their wake most of them not as good but I think you do hear a lot of influence in terms of like stretching capability and stretching like in terms of ideas and imagination and stretching arrangement I would be
0: happy to argue that Injustice for All is a progressive thrash record
2: Oh yeah, no, no doubt. I think Master of Puppets is. Yeah, I, I think that's that first glimpse of that. Although we even get glimpses of that on Ride the Lightning, because you know I remember sitting down with that album the first time. I was already familiar with Kill 'Em All as a kid, and we get something like Fade to Black, or we get like a slow song uh, like For Whom the Bell Tolls, and and just just the sort of high level they were playing at, especially riffing wise. Uh, and you know Cliff nobody has to defend Cliff as a great bass player and Call of Cthulhu just being this kind of soundtracky sort of thing yeah i mean they were they were progressive right from the beginning and um that's another I, I don't like to talk about my books very much especially now that they've been out for years but like people have said like why did you spend so much time with metallica and megadeth was like cuz i think they're progressive at the time in hindsight maybe not so much because other things came on that like put peace cells and master puppets out of our memory in terms of what progressive metal is but that was progressive at the time
0: oh totally so dude i mean it's fe- yeah i mean especially like yeah the first two megadeth records i mean the riffing on those records is visionary
2: yeah yeah exactly exactly and, it, and, and, and
0: yeah and it's not like especially like on killing i mean it's so savage and so like so like coked up and just pissed <laughs> off and wiry like it doesn't have the precise kind of technical trappings that we associate with progressive metal but the like the framework is there
2: and then you had a drummer who might as well have been playing with a jazz grip
0: oh dude gar's incredible yeah i mean gar and and chris poland well I mean, they come both.
2: from they come from fusion so that's exactly but the, but even just in the listening and kind of the approach and how they kind of reshape those riffs You can tell there's a jazz background there, even if you didn't know. Which actually
0: kind of probably adds to the looseness of it. You know, it has an organic kind of approach.
2: I love the looseness of the first Megadeth for that reason alone. But let's get back to Death Row. And like, if we're talking about influence and everything, that's great. But there was a piece on this album that was really kind of them... Claiming their stake as a fantastic progressive metal band. Um, and that is Triocton. That's this yeah. instrumental that comes third in the running order. Uh, we're going to listen to it now. I, I, before we do, I kind of want to read a few quotes from uh, this Divebomb reissue of Deception Ignored. By the way, Noise actually reissued the album even later, even more recently, maybe last year or the year before. I've not seen it. I don't know how it sounds or what it looks like, but the Divebomb version is great. But these guys uh, in the band are saying of Death Row at this time. This is uh, Marcus Hahn, the drummer, talking. I consider Deception Ignored our worst album, despite the fact that it was our best-selling record. And then Sven Fluga, the guitarist, uh, says, On Deception Ignored, you cannot hear Death Row, but an excellent guitarist, Uva who likes complex song structures and three other musicians that lost their roots and were playing on this record to fulfill a contract. Seen from a technical point of view, the material was awesome. But in my opinion, there weren't real songs anymore, only a continued series of very technical and mad parts. I hated most of the music, honestly. So.
0: You guys have bad taste in your own material. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on.
2: Yeah. No, I know.
0: But this album is unappeachably awesome.
2: Yeah, well, I guess Uva came in. They were, I think they were, you know, this kind of thing was in the air. Maybe easy for him to get his ideas across. And they come up with something like all of this, especially Triocton. So let's check that out right now. And let's keep in mind that those guys, while we respect them highly, they're so wrong. <laughs> so wrong. I hear some fates warning not only in that acoustic passage that we we ended the snippet with but just about I don't know 45 seconds prior to that there's that little break and um I hear some some of these kind of diminished chords these ninths perhaps great stuff
0: and I mean like also to me the intro to that song is so remarkable too it really it almost sounds like rocking opposition um uh. and Uva played piano there
2: yep he played piano and acoustic guitar so he was um, you know I, I think if you just look at the credits on the album it's kind of clear that you know he's lead in classic guitar piano and backing vocals like he had a lot to do with this album
0: yeah it's his album yeah really
2: um, we're doing a lot of stuff live off the cuff here and um, things we might do in the background otherwise but um, I want to tell you that while we were listening I thought we should title this episode thank you Ufa Osterlander, Death Row's Deception Ignored <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We'll do it yeah. that's now. We have a title that we have a title because you know if if the guys don't like it, well, that's not my problem. That's not your problem. You know, we're we're praising their album. We're hoping people go out and buy the noise reissue, uh, the Die Bomb reissue, the original version on noise on vinyl or CD. Uh, if you get the vinyl, you won't get Bira crazy, um, crazy for dresser drawers. But I always knew this album is a seven song album. How do you think of it? Because a lot well, of people like, like think so of it as an eight-song album, but to me, it's a seven-song. It's it's kind of that killing technology sort of conundrum.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Well, you actually introduced me to this record. Um, you made me a mixtape in very early two thousand two that had Triocton on it.
2: You and I were one wow. year old at that time.
0: We were we were one year into our
2: relationship at that time. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, the good old days. We
2: hadn't consummated it yet. Do you we remember
0: st- when we didn't we still even buy any? Yeah. It was just all happy.
2: It was <laughs> right, yeah. Before the domestication but, um, set in,
0: <laughs> you never hugged me anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, no, I mean, obviously, like, you knew what I liked, and you baited me with triocton, so mm-hmm. I immediately got a copy on vinyl off of eBay. So yeah, I think of it as a seven-song record as well.
2: So okay, Triocton was on that mixtape. That's interesting that I put that on there. Uh, you're in an instrumental tech band. Um, I'd like to think, think that was kind of a seed, perhaps. We
0: we were not instrumental yet.
2: We well, were I know. still death
0: metal. We were yeah. I was, so, playing, yeah. I was planting a seed, oh, man. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I misunderstood. It was yeah, all a big no, totally. It,
2: it was all a big plan on my part to make Canvas Solaris instrumental. Well, I was like, well I'll, I'll just send know. him a copy of Triocton, and you know, should pr- pretty much fall it'll, into place. It'll happen. Yeah, it'll yeah. happen.
0: <laughs> Everything else will fall into place.
2: Well, I mean, that, that begs the question, actually, what do you think of Milo's vocals on this album? Like, I, I've read a lot of criticism about them, but I think they're great. I think they're this, you know, I, I've said the word panicked a lot when we talk about I, this sort of material, but, like, it's this weird, panicked, paranoid kind of thing. I think he works just fine. What about you? I
0: was going to say, like, manic was the word.
2: Yeah, say, yeah, guess. totally.
0: And now a word from our sponsor
2: lamentations of the flame princess weird fantasy role-playing is the merciless mind-bending tabletop rpg that gives you an experience that if it were the movies plays out like if john carpenter worked for Troma in the glory days
0: while lotfp books are available from your local game stores tell them to order copies if they are not in stock they do print in finland and it takes a while to get copies to their local distribution warehouses and they've just received a bunch of new books and new editions of out-of-print books from the printer.
2: This very week, <laughs> they'll be adding those titles to their online store, and if you act quickly, you can, of course, get a discount on them. If you order from www.lotfp.com, and I think any radical research listener into RPGs ought to just bookmark that URL and, uh, and visit it often, but go to lotfp.com, use the coupon code Triocton. T R I O C T O N, when checking out. With Triocton, you will get 10% off your full order, only through the end of April, because you should be listening to this podcast on release. No lollygagging. And because LOTFP is a sponsor and is giving this podcast truckloads of money to read whatever they tell us to say, they will now make us say the most 90s underground metal things ever. 10 fucking skulls! Wild Rags is the symbol of excellence. No! It's 11 fucking skulls. I would add to that, and this is something that Jim didn't ask me to say, I would also say, oh, no, that guy cut his hair, too. I was saying that a lot in the 90s. Dude, that guy cut his hair? Yeah, <laughs> like, again? like. And I was also saying, why aren't there any guitar solos on that Creator album?
0: Yeah, you, get, you got Tommy T. Barron.
2: And you're not playing solo. And no solos. And no yeah. solo, Because it's not like Creator were known for great solos. They had some great solos, especially when they got Frank Blackfire in the band. But I guess what I'm saying is like, if you have Tommy T. Barron in your band, let him play the damn solo.
0: It would be like Cause of Death with no solos.
2: <laughs> you know? Like... Or Slowly We Rot without John Tardy.
0: R- right. As an right. instrumental
2: album. Come on now.
0: <laughs> I-, I love obituary. But. But what? I uh, They're not an instrumental band.
2: <laughs> God help Obviously. us if they were, yes. No, John Tardy's my favorite part of that band. Yeah, he's, the, he's amazing. Uh, we're going to listen to the song that ended side one of Deception Ignored, N-L-Y-H. And it's a little awkward in the sense that, like, Milo is yelling out, NLYH. And that just seems a little silly. I don't know if that's like in the anthrax world of the abreaves.
0: <laughs> as, as the kids say.
2: <laughs> as the kids say. And as, you know, we're kind of foreshadowing the album that um, will come after this, which to me had a lot more anthrax on it than I'd ever want from Death Row. But yeah, let's listen to NLYH. Not a slouch of a song. Great song. But oh, That's just, a great song. I'm just saying. You know, they can do the silly acronym thing all day if they're gonna play like that. Exactly. So do you know what N L Y H means? No. Oh you don't? Okay. Never don't. lose never lose your humor. Really? Yep.
0: Much like anthrax.
2: <sighs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a weird relationship with thrash metal to humor. And there's like a like like a an inflection point too, like where it's Acceptable and then where it becomes uneasy,
2: yeah, sure. And I and I well, I think Anthrax kind of exemplified that in, entire inflection point because Fistful of Metal, not a whole lot of humor, really good album. And I think the early, early Belladonna stuff is really good. I love spraying I love
0: Among the Living.
2: See, I love Spraying the Disease, but I think Among the Living got goofy. I liked it when it came out, but I that was one of those bands and eras. And anything after that, I grew away from. And here's my problem with Among the Living. This is definitely a tangent. But um, they're, they were doing something more abrasive and fast. And I think they're inspired by the SOD stuff they were doing. And I, lo- I still love the SOD album. But uh, um, they were doing that. And then they tried to sort of fuse Belladonna on top of it. And I just don't think, I think at that point already, that, that marriage wasn't working. I think it worked great on Spreading. So I didn't know you liked Among. I really I didn't know those that.
0: are those are my two favorite Anthrax albums.
2: Spreading and among. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: And I I used to like Sounds of White Noise, and it, it like in concept I still love it. Right. But but as a as a actual record, I don't.
2: Yeah, me too. I I was too flawed. I went back to it and hoped I would like kind of rediscover it, and I think that's just because I love John Bush so goddamn much
0: yeah i know i'd me too man
2: you know he's such a great vocalist and um yeah too too bad and
0: it came out in 1993 and i tend to give anything a <laughs> out, so. in, in all fairness it is a very appropriately 1993 record
2: i would say that you yeah. know it's a
0: band like it, it's i mean yeah it's it's a an older band, you know, absorbing new influences and going into new territories. And I, I, it makes sense in the context of that year.
2: Yeah. No, that, that's a good that's a really good point. Let's jump to side two of Deception Ignored. And I like to think of it in sides because this was a three-song side. And we had Watching the World. And then we had two kind of much larger epics that make Deception Ignored extraordinary. They saved the absolute best for the last And we've heard a lot of greatness, and uh, we'll get there. But let's listen to Watching the World. we haven't heard enough like stop start really kind of panicky weird nervous stuff yet uh they're really just kind of priming us for the next two aren't they yes man before we go there though what about the album title deception ignored i've never really thought about it but then i was thinking like today that it's kind of um it seemed like commentary on something that wasn't actually that unorthodox and thrash kind of pointing out like sheep-like behavior of the masses
0: Yeah, it's, it's political.
2: Yeah. Kind even, of a,
0: even like the cover is very obviously political.
2: Rose-colored glasses, people ensnared under control and kind of too blind to see the deception. Uh, right. Or if they were aware of it, ignoring it. So I think that's where that comes from. The Almart work, again, I know we mentioned it already, but I love it. Are you a fan of it?
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
2: Especially with the kind of like the bars of it.
0: Well, the bar, the bars are what sort of make it.
2: Yeah, oh definitely
0: Symbolically at least
2: Yeah, this was a construction of uh, Dorothy Kemper uh, I'm not familiar with her other work Never looked it up, uh, but it's quite good uh, Easily the best co- album cover they would ever have
0: <laughs> Yeah, a, a bit of a departure
2: <laughs> A departure, and certainly when they followed up with this album Boy, that thing
0: whew. Oh yeah, man. yeah, let's, yeah
2: <laughs> uh, Here's the thing about Deception Ignored's artwork though I wouldn't have minded a logo change Sure That's a pretty lame logo
0: it's barely a logo.
2: It always looked to me like it was the Flintstones if they had a house rock band that appeared on <laughs> occasional episodes and then they'd have like a logo design exactly like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really kind of primitive and silly and cartoony and It is. But the artwork and the music itself speaks for itself, lifts this thing up really really high. And I think in keeping with that, let's listen to let's listen to these two amazing songs together. Um, one after the other, we're going to listen to snippets of narcotic and machinery. Narcotic and Machinery are probably my two favorite moments on this album. And um, they, they end uh, on, on very, very high notes. I, I think because these two songs encapsulate everything that they're trying to go for on this album. And I think they're nailing it more often than any of the other songs. There's, there's really no weak spots on the album. But these two songs just really go for it. And they're like elongated. And they probably have the most parts. And, uh, you know, if you're going to go here, go big.
0: Yeah, like because of my allegiances, I often kind of get caught up with Triocton. But Narcotic is the pinnacle of this band for me.
2: Well, I. And I certainly, have, yeah.
0: certainly th- this era of this band.
2: Absolutely. Triocton is amazing. Narcotic, you got to love those squeals in, the, in that part of the song. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's like six minutes in. That song shifts and changes so much in its nine minutes. Pretty incredible stuff. Totally. I also, we haven't talked about lyrics too much, and I just want to end talking about Deception Ignored by quoting a bit from Narcotic. It hardly makes sense. And, like, the fact that they're German, English wasn't their first language, but it adds to the weirdness, and I'm okay with that. I'm sure you are, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This comes from a moment in Narcotic. The wisest providence affect anxiety neurosis. Events concomitants affect a higher doses. That is the price we pay, and we all know this. So the afterthoughts evanescence entails narcosis narcotic soporific and despotic narcotic i guess i'm sick narcotic pessimistic premonition psychopathic politician what's the meaning of all that hunter aren't you a literature aren't you a literature major Uh, yeah and you got nothing I've never heard you be so silent. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I got nothing either. Concomitance is actually a word that we had to look up and um, it's an actual word. They weren't, they weren't just messing around. So anyway, interesting stuff. This is death row deception ignored. Indeed. As we know, they had a, Not a hiatus. They were never broken up. But from 88 to 92, we had to wait about almost four years for a fourth album and what turned out to be the final album, Life Beyond. When this came out, it came out to very little fanfare. I I think that Deception ignored probably alienated people. Was that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, death metal was in full swing by the time this came out. They never had much of of a deathly element to them. I think a lot of people considered Thrash sort of the old thing. One of the versions of the album came out with a pretty cool kind of corneresque album cover. The the more common version, I believe, and the one that the band got really upset by the label actually using, is the most silly, comical thing this side of Metal Church is hanging in the balance. Not as bad.
0: Nothing is that bad. <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, is that it, can can we maybe just settle on that as the worst? metal record cover
2: i think we probably can at least of the, like the bands that have some kind of name i'm sure there's okay
0: fair fair enough yeah
2: yeah there's stuff like they you know in, in the dark recesses of the swedish basement <laughs> the that dark are recesses probably yes. worse but you know you know what i'm talking about the obscurities i'm sure there's a lot but, but, worse
0: yeah yeah of, of reputable actual bands. yeah probably.
2: man how did that happen
0: <laughs> i mean like yeah, exactly. Like, whose oversight
2: was that, right? And this is a man that never had great album covers, but and we love Metal Church, but but come on Here. now. Anyway, Actually, is be- there
0: is there a single good Metal Church album cover?
2: You know, I I don't mind the first.
0: I, I it, it means, yeah, but I mean, it's still, like, it's pretty cliched.
2: Yeah, and the dark is a little chintzy in in, in what it's trying to convey. The third one, the third and fourth were like afterthoughts, like oh, uh, yeah, you, oh, we now I'm put the Band
0: on the cover. Oh yeah. shit,
2: we now I'm covered. Oh today? damn it,
0: yeah, <laughs> hey, guys, stand over here. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and then after that, it was just kind of either stock or not a lot of thought put into it. But Life Beyond's cover is kind of infamous for being shitty. Also, you know, not a great album. Matt Rodzinski, our great friend, I love Matt to death, but boy. He, he likes this album, I think, a little bit more than we do. He put out a version I, of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Matt makes allowances for records that I would not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the dive bomb way, I suppose. But he, does a lot, he does a lot for, for thrash, and he's, he's, a, he's definitely an unapologetic thrash guy. And, you know, look, Death Row's Life Beyond needed a CD reissue, so okay, do it. I, I've struggled with this album. I just want to like it a lot more than I do. It's the same lineup. I mean, Osterlander's there. Right. Should be great. Yeah. Um, but I think they were a little shell-shocked by what happened with Deception Ignored. Granted, it's their best-selling album, but I, I think even by 92, it was clear that they didn't want to keep going in that direction. you think they could have because 93 was right around the corner. There was still a zeitgeist for this sort of stuff. Yet they didn't. They kind of went into this thrashy, gang vocal anthraxy sort of stuff. Um, You can tell it's the death row of Deception Ignored, but it's not Deception Ignored. Have you spent much time with this album?
0: Uh, I mean, enough to know that I don't like it all that much.
2: Yeah. Just for context and just to kind of round things out to give Deception Ignored its real shape, we're going to listen to the title track from Life Beyond, and you can decide. tell you hunter i didn't assign that snippet to you i didn't want to make you have to go through life beyond but um that's actually one of the better moments and better songs yeah. there's some stuff on it that i'd say half of it is outright crap and the other half is probably on that level you know a little more aggression certainly less technicality and less imagination I was about um, to say,
0: it still feels like a retreat
2: you know it, it is a retreat yeah and that's that's the problem with it and i think if that had come between raging steel and deception ignored might make a little more sense yeah. But it did not. And um, there we have it. There, there's one really horrible moment, a little bit infamous. And I would never, and I don't, I don't think you would either. I don't think you'd judge an album by the lyrics necessarily. But the, these lyrics here I'm going to read to you kind of mirror the badness of a lot of Life Beyond. This is from the song Towers in Darkness. We have elevators. We have Terminators. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger. We have Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. These are all heroes we want to be to falsify the world we see.
0: It's poetry, man.
2: In motion. <laughs> In motion because I'm kicking it, kicking its ass out of my window. Jeez. Uh, any, anything else you want to say about de- Deception Ignored?
0: Go buy it if you don't have it.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone. We super appreciate new listeners, Todd Manning, Luke Manning. Apparently no relation there, but we're happy to have lots of Mannings on board. And certainly James Skakalski for his generous PayPal contribution. You can also support what you otherwise listen to for free every fortnight. Uh, It helps us a lot, no doubt. PayPal ID is RadicalResearchPodcast at gmail.com. We can't thank you enough for being with us, whether you just found us or have been listening to all thirty episodes. Uh technically thirty-three with the point five episodes we do occasionally. Next episode, Hunter, it's gonna be a special one indeed. We'll be uh it'll be the first episode we record in the same room together. Face to face. Face to face. Gonna be a brawl, baby.
0: Vandergraaff generator. We're gonna
2: kick it kick it down for the Vandergraph. Vandergraaff, yeah. No, it's gonna
0: be a cage match. <laughs>
2: I think Peter Hamill's going to win.
0: Hey, look, we should get Peter to fly over, man.
2: Let's get him over. Yeah, let's get him over.
0: Well, well yeah, Peter, what you doing, man?
2: I'm only like one degree removed from him because, uh, you know, I know Tim Bonus well enough and he's friends with Peter Hamill, so.
0: I mean, dude, then like we're basically in a band together.
2: And with, with generous PayPal contributions from our awesome listeners, <laughs> we could probably afford the ticket. Actually, no, we <laughs> and- can't. We can't. But we, we plead with you if perhaps... You if, could send us a little perhaps donation. Your
0: contributions could be more generous.
2: We could have a little sit down with Peter Hamill and maybe just sit down and listen to some music with him because that's why you're coming up. We're gonna we're gonna eat and listen to music because that's all we that's all we really do.
0: Dude, we could buy Peter Hamill a beer and be like, hey man, how'd you guys get together?
2: <laughs> that <laughs> great, great documentary. But um no, we're gonna we are gonna do a, a show on Vandergraft Generator. Very, very, very special band for both Hunter and I. It's gonna be a wide ranging focus of our favorite moments and aspects of really one of the total greatest prog rock bands of all time. If you think this is a metal podcast, you're wrong. Uh, we like a lot of stuff. We love Venograph Generator. And these this is probably a gateway band for a lot of metal fans, I would think.
0: I, I would think like Man Urg is like if you if you hear Man Urg, then like you understand Voivod.
2: I believe the first time I heard about Manerg or, or Vanguard generator in general was through Voivod and interviews where you know they were talking about their 70s heroes like Magma and King Crimson and Vanguard generator would always come up in that conversation. Yep. Please join us then for Hunter Ginn and myself listen deeply and definitely sweat the small stuff.